I have been here 16 years, and uh, it, it seems like it's gone very, very quick. When we first came, we had two small toddler children, two and five years old, and uh, we bought a house up in Sunbury. Sunbury was becoming the metropolis it is today. In fact, as soon as we moved in, two weeks later, Kroger opened. And if you lived in Sunbury when Kroger opened, you thought you had struck gold. It was incredible. Life was good. You didn't have to go to Centerburg or Westerville anymore. We had our own supermarket. But our family continued to grow, and the third boy and the fourth boy came along, and suddenly we didn't have enough space in our house uh, for our family, and the market was definitely different 10 years ago than it is today. And so when we went to sell our house, it was on the market for one month, and it had zero offers. So we took it off the market for a few weeks, and we found a house we really liked, the only problem was the house we really liked was $20,000 more than I was willing to spend. And uh, I just said, that's not for us. Here's our budget. We're not doing that. Well, in the midst of that happening, the uh, house went bank-owned and went into kind of foreclosure, and they dropped the price by $20,000. And it was going to auction in three weeks. And so we were excited for that, so we put our house back up on the market and uh, for three weeks, we got no bids on our house. And that Saturday morning at 7 o'clock, the auction would close. And our realtor thought if we put in the bid exactly where we thought we wanted to be, we would get it. And so we were waiting for an offer for three weeks, and we never received an offer. That Saturday afternoon around 4, 4.30, I get a phone call from Pastor Frank, and he says, hey, how did everything go? Did, you, did it work out? And I said, no, it just didn't work out. We didn't get a bid because we had to have a bid on our house to place a bid on another house. And he goes, well, let's pray about it. And he didn't see my look on my face, but I, I just told him it didn't work out. And he's like, oh, let's just pray about it. And I, I said, no, 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 it, it closed at 7 o'clock in the morning. We're 4 o'clock in the afternoon. It didn't work out. But you know what I said? I said, sure, boss, that's a great idea. Let's pray about it. <laughs> and it was a simple prayer. God, if this is your will, find a way. And uh, 45 minutes later, we got a phone call from our realtor saying we had an asking price and that she thought she could get a bid in. And sh so she called the other house and said, oh, I thought it was a 7 p.m. closure, not a 7 a.m. closure. And, and so she told us to put in a bid $1 more than what we're comfortable for. We got our house and everything worked out. And the realtor paid me the dollar back since we went over that's not the story for today, but I'm just reminded of God's goodness and God's faithfulness and how God doesn't work months in advance. Sometimes he works six or eight hours late and still works out. Amen? Amen. Now, with our bank-owned property, if you've ever bought a bank-owned property, we had foundation issues, and we knew going in uh, that there would be problems, but the problems that we had with our bank-owned house were ones that if you took care of them immediately— they wouldn't be problematic in the future. And that's what we're going to look at today, that sometimes things can be good in our lives, but there's cracks in our foundations that if we don't take care of right away, it could lead to longer, bigger, worse problems down the road. Our problems were we had too long of expanse in our basement. It was like 24 feet that didn't have support beams holding it up, so we had to put a couple more support beams in, 80 bucks each. Pretty easy problem to solve. What I was told is if we didn't put those support beams in, 
walls would begin to crack. Foundations would begin to split. And it would cost us way, way more than anything we've ever wanted to pay. And so as we look into Scripture today, that's exactly what I think we're going to look at today. As you look in your notes, we're talking about Jephthah. If you know the story of Jephthah, you don't understand why he has anything to do in Scripture. He's probably one of the worst men, one of the worst examples of anything we'll see in Scripture. But I think Jephthah is a modern-day individual that would fit in today. Good intentions with a horrible foundation. Wanting to serve the Lord, wanting to do great things for the Lord, but unfortunately, foundation was broken in understanding who God was, and understanding God's laws, and understanding some verses in Leviticus that we'll look at today. I'm not going to make you look those up, but if you're looking for them, they're towards the left. So, um, Biblical foundation. What I see my generation doing today is, hey, the Bible is cool, the history of it is cool, but let me tell you about what love is and what love means. God's view for love is not the view for love today. God wants me to be happy, right? I understand there's rules about happiness in Scripture, but God created me. He wants me to be happy. God wants me to be blessed. Uh, You know, there's some business practices that Scripture tells us we shouldn't have, but God wants me to be blessed, and this is one of the ways that I can be blessed. Does God want you to be happy? Absolutely. Does God want you to be blessed? Absolutely. Does God want you to feel loved? Absolutely. But there are parameters around these three things that sometimes we just miss, that sometimes we don't want to listen, that we just simply want to ignore. And that's what Jephthah did. And so we're looking through the book of Judges. We've looked at several different judges already. Um, The book of Judges is a unique time in Scripture where over a 430-year period, there were 12 different individuals who led the nation of Israel, which is God's chosen nation as God's people. And we see that there are some of the worst men that God picked to be leaders. I think the only good one was a woman. Uh, There's 12 of them, six major, six minor. We're going to look at the one major one today. We we, we call them majors because there's actually stuff written about them. The, The six minor ones usually have about a verse or two, and there's nothing to preach on if you only have a verse or two about a minor judge here. But they go through a cycle that is continuously going through, and it's an interesting part here in Judges because it's not mentioned anywhere else. But we see during this sin cycle, we see that the nation of Israel would sin, a nation would come and take them over, they would be in captivity, and they would say, this captivity is not fun. They repented of their sins, and God would bring them a judge or a deliverer, and they would experience peace for 20 to 30 years, kind of one generation And then after that generation died, the next generation would just go on and serve false gods or other false things. And so we see that this is what's going on right now. And um, in fact, David Jeremiah wrote a book, and it's called Forward. And he wrote a book, and he talks about there's about 49 different prominent leaders in Scripture. 49 different leaders where we know the beginning, what happened in their life, and at the end. And it says out of those 49 leaders... 70% of them failed. 70% of them failed. 30% stayed faithful to God their entire lives, but 70% failed. And it talks about people like Samson and Eli who stumbled midlife, that they, they were serving the Lord and things were going great, but they stumbled midlife. And then people like Noah, David, Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah who stumbled 
near the end. But we praise God for people like Joshua, Daniel, Peter, and Paul who stayed faithful to God the whole time. And so a few weeks ago, I talked about Gideon, how Gideon did this great battle with 300 people, and he served the Lord, and what was the next thing he did? He set up false idols in his community, and he led his community to worship false gods. And so we had this, this great high of God working in his life down to this great low of leading people astray. And after Gideon dies, we see that Gideon had 70 sons, once again, not living for the Lord, uh, many wives and concubines. And here's what happens when dad doesn't live faithful life. The 70 sons got together, and they said, you know what? Uh, one of us needs to be the leader. And Abimelech said, you know what? I will be the leader. And they said, okay, you can represent us. Abimelech became the leader, and Ab Abimelech killed all of his brothers. Basically, listen, you guys aren't going to come after me and be king and be the next ruler. I'm it. And, and so we see a destructive family trait passed on from one to another. He kills all them. He's there for three years, but then we see two new judges. The first one is Tola. There's two verses about him. Don't know much about him, but we know they had peace for 23 years in the nation of Israel. After him, Jar had only three verses about him. Don't know much about him, but he says there was peace for 22 years. And after that, life was good. What happens in our life when life is good? You know when, what happens in my life when life is good? Look what I can do. Look what I've achieved. You know what happens when things aren't good in my life? God help. I've got myself into this mess. I'm not going to be able to get myself out of this mess. I need your help. I need you to do something in my life. And in, in, for 18 years, they're with the Ammonites, and they're oppressed by the Ammonites. And they finally cry out. Not, these aren't verses we're looking at, but chapter 10, verse 10, it says, We have sinned against you, because we have forsaken you and gone to false gods. As we, we sin, there's two different types of sin that we do. The first one is commission. We commit sin. You know, you're on I-71 and someone cuts you off. That's a sin. You've committed a sin. But if you're here today, at the first service, you got up early, you put your nice clothes on here, you guys are the best of the best, especially the first five rows right here. You guys want to be up close and experience the Word of God. Forget the comfortable chairs. You're down here suffering in the thin padded chairs. I'm just kidding. People in the balcony, you know that your sins are forgiven. You, you don't need to walk this aisle and come up here. These people up here need to be close to the altar for the things that they've done this week. So you guys stay comfortable for these sinful people up here. Sound like a politician up here talking both ways. But I would say the best of the best, if we're coming to church here, our sins generally are not commission, they're omission. It's generally not things we're going out and doing, it's things that we should be that we're not. You say, we want to love the Lord, but are we investing time and effort into loving the Lord? You are here today. The rest of the week, God lays something on our heart. I, I, I've got to call someone, I've got to check in on someone, see how they're doing. And sometimes when God lays that on our hearts and we don't, that could be considered a sin of omission, doing something we should, but we don't. And I love this about God. God makes, I, I can experience and feel a little bit like God, how he felt here in chapter 10, when he says, they cried out to him in chapter 10, verse 10, and chapter 10, verse 13, he says, I will not deliver you again. God's frustrated with his people. 
It's like, guys, we've been through this sin cycle for 300 years already. Like, you keep saying you want to follow me, but after 20 years, you don't follow me anymore. I'm tired of delivering you. But God is perfect. And even in the midst of what I see as frustration, and of course, it's holiness, and I can't make sense of that because he's God and I'm not. He says, nevertheless, I will deliver you. And what a great lesson we see that even in the midst of sinning again and again and again, God still delivers us. Now there's scars and there's things we have to live with and there's consequences that we will have the rest of our lives. But God is always right there to listen and to take us back. Amen? All right, chapter 11, verse number 1 through 3. We see Jephthah, and he's called a valiant man of uh, a warrior, uh, a mighty warrior here. This, this was the case. Remember a few chapters ago we talked about Gideon. Gideon was a scaredy cat, but God said, oh, mighty man of valor, but he wasn't there yet. Jephthah was a mean dude. And we're going to see that some of his life circumstances allowed him to be this rough and tough leader. Starting here in verse number one. Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. But he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah, and Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob, and worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. Not the greatest situation for an individual. He was the son of a prostitute. He was not planned. He, he was sent out by his brothers when they became old enough that, hey, we don't want you around here. Like, you, you just go and be gone. And then we see he goes and finds some, some rough and tumble people to hang out with and cause problems. And, and the first point we have that I think we learned from Jephthah is point number one this morning. Not all testimonies are the same. Not all testimonies are the same. If I were to call many people on the stage and ask them to share their testimony up here and what God brought them through, even though they have their nice three-piece suit on today with a, a special tie on their tie and a pocket watch, you'd be surprised at the stupid stuff they did here on earth. You'd be surprised at the things that have happened to some people in this room. And what I'm just reminded of, not all testimonies are the same. That, that we come from different upbringings. We have different things that happen to us. But in the midst of those different foundations, God still has a plan for each and every one of our lives. You know the testimony I'm reminded of is, is the widow that had two cents. Two cents. And she put her little two cents in the orange bucket of the Old Testament. And she was rewarded for it. Because we still talk about her today. What do you guys do with two cents? You know, first of all, if you have cash at all or change... Sometimes we just leave it at the gas station. What's two cents going to do? But I think this woman who had nothing is reminded, we're reminded of what she did because she gave all that she had. A great testimony. You know, Jephthah was talking about that he was an accident, and I think we need to explain that there's no such thing as an accident. God doesn't accidentally make someone pregnant. It's always purposeful. It's always planned. It says in Psalms that he knits us together in our mother's wombs. 
right? Mom and dad may not have expected this baby to happen, but if you weren't planned, please understand that you were not an accident from God. You were knit together in your mother's womb. God placed you in your mother's womb. It was not an accident. Gilead and the prostitute did not plan this, but God allowed this to happen for Jephthah to come here. It says that he was sent out by his brothers and sisters. Not, not a good thing when your family disowns you and doesn't want you around. So there were some bad things that happened to him. But he also made some bad choices as well. So it says he decided to be around unworthy men. He, he decided to be around worthless men who, who went and stole and robbed and, and did things they shouldn't be doing. And that was his testimony up until God used him. What I love about God in our life, it doesn't matter where you start. It doesn't matter the foundation in our lives. It doesn't matter the things we've done at the beginning of our lives, the middle of our lives. God still can use us for his good. God still has a plan for our lives where we can be purposeful, we can feel the love that he has for us, and we can be used for the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Not all testimonies are the same. Uh, Verses 8 through 10, let's move along. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, This is why we have turned to you, that you might go with us and fight against the Ammonites and be the head over the inhabitants of Gilead. Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you bring me home and fight against the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your head. And the elders of Gilead said to him, Jephthah, the Lord be our witness between us if we do not do as we say. All right, so a few verses have happened. The Ammonites have come and taken captivity over them. And what they see is these brothers see, hey, we need a leader with experience who knows how to steal, who knows how to attack, and and knows some of these ways. And the only person we know is Jephthah. So think about the redemption story in his family. The family had sent him off until the family needs something. And the family brings him back and says, listen, we're going to bring you in We know Abimelech's done, and he's done killed his brothers, and now he's gone. We need a leader. We need somebody of military experience, and we're bringing you back in. And we're not going to bring you back in as a brother, but we'll bring you back in as the judge of our nation. And so he's brought back in this way. And it reminds me here, point number two, is great faith is key in God's strength. Great faith is key in God's strength. If you want great strength from God in our lives— It starts with great faith. And I love what Jephthah says here. If the Lord does this, I will be your leader. You know what he doesn't say? If I do this. If I'm able to accomplish this, I will be your leader. He says, if God does this, because he knows that, once again, it's it's pretty hard odds for the, the nations he's going up against. And he says, if this happens, I will be. If the Lord does this, I will be your leader is giving credit to God. And I think about that in, in some of the stories we've looked at, that the great battle that Gideon had started with great faith of going into battle with 300. We talked about a few months ago about a judge named Deborah, and she went into battle against 900 iron chariots. It was like the modern day of us infantry going against 900 tanks and missiles and And yet she knew the Lord was with her, so she was able to go in battle and see this great victory. I think about Joshua, the Old Testament. Remember Joshua, his battle plan that God told him? Walk around this fortified city that no one can attack. 
right? Blow a trumpet. And maybe I don't understand music all that well, but a lot of trumpets can knock down some concrete walls. I don't understand it. Or maybe just God's in it. But great faith led to this great battle. Noah, think about this, 120 years of building a boat for something called rain that people have never experienced. If I was there, I would have 120 years of making fun of this person for building this giant ship for something that we've never heard of that he says rain is coming, and then I would have drowned. But I'm reminded of people that came to church here back in the 90s. I'm talking about the early 90s. Anybody been coming to church here, whether it's been full-time, part-time, online, um, that started before 1995? Anybody before 1995? Man, this generation has allowed you to sit in these beautiful padded seats. When I think about the generation from the early 90s, when they first came and they built the old chapel, People wonder why we call this the new chapel, because there's actually a building in the far, far side over here we call the old chapel. And that's where the church started out. And I think we're in there at about 2,000. Did anybody do services over in the old chapel? Okay. When they first built that, I think there was about 200, maybe 300 seats in there. It's my story, so don't correct me. But there wasn't very many seats in there. And the local pastors came around and said, you've built this building too big. It's a waste of God's money. You're in a farm community. There's only farmers. This is going to be a waste of space. You've built this way too big. And you know what the people in the congregation back in the early 90s did? They said, whatever, we're going to buy up 100 acres of land at $7,000 an acre. <laughs> Can you imagine anything going for under 50 these days? Like, just the, the sacrifice of a generation of people that said, you know, I believe God has bigger plans for this piece of property, bigger plans than maybe most of us will be able to see one day. But our kids and our grandkids and the community and the kingdom of God will experience great victories because of the sacrifice they made way long, 25, 30 years ago. You know, Pastor Frank came here, there was 40, 50 people here. There's a lot more than 40 or 50 people here today. And I think it's based upon the sacrifice that one group of people came and did. My prayer is 30 years from now, whether it's my son or Matt Clark's son or Elijah Joel, they get up here and preach. And they said it was the sacrifice of the people right after COVID that got excited for the Lord that made a difference in our community, and that's why we're sitting in these hover vehicles or whatever it's going to be, but something cool. You know, I don't think it took great faith, but it took a little bit of faith for my wife and I to come here. Um, I think the last place I would ever want to go is Anchorage, Alaska, but the second to last place I'd ever want to come is Columbus, Ohio. I love the people. I love the community. I love nature. I love the football teams in Cleveland and Cincinnati. <laughs> My nature is I want to celebrate and be a part of the team. If I lived in Dayton, I would be the biggest Dayton Flyers fan there is. If I, I lived in Cincinnati, I would be the biggest University of Cincinnati fan. If I lived in Toledo, there'd be rocket banners all over my office. I'd have season tickets. Unfortunately, God has a sense of humor. 
and put me for the one place I cannot cheer. And so every year, you kind people, hey, I've got tickets to a basketball or football game, or I have no desire. <laughs> Ever. And so coming here was a little difficult for us, but I think about the blessings it's been. Incredible. I was recently at a pastor's uh, a group of pastors, and they talked about how they've been at a church for four years, and they've been a church for six years. And I thought, man, for 16 years, I've seen the blessings of generations. And I've seen your kids grow up to have their own babies. And I'm amazed at second service, I got this little 12-year-old kid that I came who's now pushing 30, who's dedicating his child today. And just what a blessing it is to see this for this. And I think about this never would have happened if God would have given me my way and put me in the Florida Keys to pastor down there. <laughs> if he would have taken me to somewhere luxurious and, and warm. But here we are experiencing these great things. All right, moving along. Verse, there's a lot of back and forth, and I don't want to read the back and forth in chapter 11 because it's just a lot of verses. You can read it. But we're going to skip down to verse number 29. And once again, this I don't understand everything about God. I don't understand everything, but I want us to read verses 29 through 31. It says, the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah. Think about that. Whatever happens in the future, God, or Jephthah gave glory to God at the beginning, and then the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. And he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he passed on to the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will give me the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me, I will return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's. That means I'm going to give a sacrifice, whatever animal, whatever cow, whatever bull, whatever person, whatever thing comes out to greet me, I will offer a sacrifice and offer it up as a burnt offering. Making a vow to God is a very serious thing. I believe that we see a misrepresentation of what's going on here. We see a misrepresentation of what Gideon did in the past, asking God for signs. I don't think a vow is something we should make with the Lord. But it is quite common for kings and rulers and leaders of those days to say, I will make a vow with you that if you give me this victory, I will give you 10,000 rubies to the temple, or something like that. I will make a sacrifice of 100 of the greatest cattle I have as a burnt offering back to the Lord to show his gratefulness, his thankfulness. Do I think we should do that from time to time, minus the vow? Absolutely. If God blesses you with a great tax return this year, I think you should give part of it away to some kind of mission fund. Send some more kids to youth camp. Whatever it is, if, if, if somehow you are blessed from something, I think you pass that blessing or part of that blessing back on to something else. But we see he made this vow just in a, a quick little step. Um, I, I think partly his misguided, broken down foundation is what led to some of this. He didn't understand who the Lord was. The Spirit of God was upon him. and He trusted the Lord but sometimes just having great faith isn't enough. Point number three, great faith is not enough. 
Listen, before you come up and have notes at the end of service, salvation, great faith is all you need. There's not works involved. It's just great faith, and that's the grace of God. We don't have to earn our way into heaven. There's going to be some rotten people who did some horrible, nasty things that are in heaven. And there's going to be some great people that are in hell. They did lived great lives. They just never had a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And so we see that his broken down foundation right here shows that he didn't have people in his life correcting him and be like, whoa, Jephthah, before you make that vow, let's, let's, let's put some parentheses around here. What, what this does include, what this doesn't include. Hey, hey, before you, before you fully do this, let's think about this. But his foundation of understanding who God was, was broke. And he says, listen, I don't care if I offer a human sacrifice unto the Lord. Other, other nations are doing that. We, we, we know of, of Chemoth and, and um, a couple other false gods that other nations worshipped, and they would accept human sacrifice. Those false gods liked it. And so other nations were, were sacrificing humans to their god, like Molech. And so he makes this vow, not knowing what it's going to cost him. And he goes on. And we read verses 34 through 5. God gave him a great victory. And he comes home. Jephthah came home to his home at Mizpah. And behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and dances. She was his only child besides her. He had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, My daughter, you have brought me very low. And you have become the cause of great trouble for me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. A man offers to sacrifice a human being not knowing it would be his own daughter. And, and we see that there's, there's other steps that can happen. And some Bible scholars, although they're a very minority, will say that, you know what, he didn't actually offer her as a sacrifice. What he did is he made her a perpetual virgin, did not allow her to marry, and sent her to the temple to work the temple the rest of her life. But if we read word for word what it says, that he really was obedient to his vow with God. He sacrificed her. And in a minute, we're going to see that he's mentioned in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. How, how does someone that we see is a person that was faithful to God physically kill his daughter? How does that happen? It's a horrible foundation. He didn't have people in his life that said, you know what, there's verses in Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 5. It says, if anyone utters with his lips a rash oath, to do evil or to do good or any sort of rash oath. And it's hidden from him when he comes to know it and realizes the guilt of these. They realizes that it would have caused him to sin. Right? You make an oath not knowing what the oath will come and happen. But if that oath causes you to sin, you can get out of that oath. And it says you can make compensation to the Lord through a lamb or a goat or something from the flock. That's what should have happened in this. But because of ignorance... It cost him more than he ever wanted to pay. And guys, that's where I see us sometimes in our lives. That we want to be faithful to God. That we think we're doing the right thing. Because of, but a lack of understanding of scripture. A lack of understanding. You know, our, definitely our society wants to tell us that all roads lead to heaven. Everyone that's sitting in a church pew, anyone that's worshiping or calling upon any name of God that there is, those people are going to heaven. Religious people go to heaven. And that's a weak foundation to stand on. 
that eventually will break down when we get to heaven or the afterlife of hell. It's not based upon what parish or what church you attend. It's based upon a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And we see that he made all these problems, all these mistakes. But what I want to add is a fourth point today, this morning. And as long as you're breathing, you got to put that first, as long as you're breathing, it's never over. It's never over. Jephthah was not finished in the eyes of God. It's not the last thing we hear about him. It says the spirit was upon him and he was still in the hall of faith. I don't understand how he can make the hall of faith. Legalistic Scott tells me that if you do something that horrible, there's no way you can be considered a faithful person. If you do certain things on this earth, there's no way you should get into heaven. You know, I see people that go off and murder and are in jail, and and because of prison ministry, they're led to the Lord. I'm thinking, legalistic me tells me there's no way those people should get in. And then I realize my sin's just as sinful as their sin. My sin is what put Jesus on the cross. Whether I'm as bad as a serial killer or I've, I've been the, the sin of omission where I should have done something and I didn't. And when that puts us in the same place, I understand, okay, Jephthah may have not have finished his course like he should have, but he is seen as a faithful character because of the faith he had of going into battle. And I look at these other people like Enoch and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Joseph and Moses and Rahab and Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah and David. And I think about my, to myself, man, there are some awful people in Scripture. I think about Abraham. Abraham slept with Hagar, right? It's sinful. But yet he's still in the hall of faith as a, a faithful man. I think about David who slept with Bathsheba. I think about Gideon, who set up false idols. I think of Jephthah, who killed his own daughter. I think about Samson, who we'll talk about here in another few weeks. And they're in there not because of their good marks were better than their bad marks. Because I would say some of their bad marks were worse than their good marks. They're in the hall of faith because at some points of their life, they were faithful to God. And what we know about God, God is always faithful to us, amen? And it's his love that allows us to, to have these experiences, to, to, to see these things in our lives, and what we do with that love is makes up our whole entire life. So in closing today, I want you to be thinking in your lives that we hear this message about Jephthah, and it's probably the, one of the worst ones in Scripture that I can think of. But as we're going through the book of Judges, it was the one that, it was here, had to preach it, had to share it with you. But we talk about building the foundation of Scripture in our lives. Understanding this so that, so things like happened to Jephthah that didn't have to happen in his life. There was a clause that allowed him out of that vow with God that he did not take advantage of. And I think coming here today does not build that foundation but it gives you the tools to build that foundation. Because as we build that foundation, we apply these things that we learn in our lives. And that's how wisdom's brought out in our lives, by, by just taking a little block of things that we learn each and every week. I think we, we learn it from here from, from preaching. We hear it in our small groups and being in community. 
Man, if Jephthah was in a good community with solid believers, they would have mentioned Leviticus chapter 5 to him. They would have said, no, you don't have to do this. But he didn't have those people in his life. You know, sometimes I'm, I'm asked that, you know, all these rules that, that God has for us in our life, are they really like things we have to follow? And I say this back to people because I've heard it from someone else and they said, is your life better or worse for following the rules that God has set in place? And I'd say nine times out of ten, which should be ten out of ten, they'd say, my life is better for following those rules. You may not see it at first, but maybe eventually down the road, you do see how our life is better. And so I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We're not going to have a come forward time, but we're going to have this time of reflection. And of course, if you're here today and you've never set that foundation of saying, you know what, I come to church and I'm religious, but I've never asked Christ into my life. Well, today could be that day for you where you simply just say, God, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. I do believe in your son, Jesus. And right now I ask him into my life. You just say that simple prayer and I'll be down front. I'd love to talk to you after service about it. But if you're here today, I just want you to think about these three little phrases that I have for you in closing. As we're building this foundation of of a solid biblical foundation in our lives, first thing I want you to think about is the indescribable love God has for you. I want you to thank God for that. I want you to know it and I want you to feel it because sometimes we don't understand how much God loves us. And when we're building that foundation, we can't see God as this person coming down and and always pointing out what's wrong in our lives, but we got to see the foundation of a loving Father who has this indescribable love for us that does have rules and regulations that we have to follow. But one, be thinking about the indescribable love that God has for you. The second thing I want us to think about today is how we have problems, but problems don't have us. I want you to think about that. We all have problems. There's not a single person in here that would raise their hand and say they don't have problems. As soon as they raise their hand, they're a liar, and that's a problem. We've all got problems. But greater is he who is in us than he that is in this world. And although it's difficult, parts of Scripture, it says, what's the worst thing that can happen to you here on earth? No one can take away your eternity. And we do have problems, but I pray that we could still experience that joy and that blessing. In the midst of our problems, the problems don't have us. We are held by our God and our Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. And the third thing I want you to think about today is, this is great that God loves us. This is great that God cares for us. But the third thing is, how do I fit into God's plan? And I want you to be thinking around, how do I fit into God's plan? Is it doing something? Is it saying something? Is it getting more in his word? Is it being more vocal about your salvation? Is it about serving? Is it about giving? How do you fit into God's plan? And I pray that he'll reveal that to you even today.